0: What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, excited to share today's episode of Seeking Excellence podcast with you. Today, I'm joined by my Instagram friend, Bridget Busacker. Bridget is the founder and um, runs Managing Your Fertility, which is a great organization, which whose mission is to educate women and couples about the science and theology of fertility, awareness, and natural family planning, also known as NFP through the integration of fertility awareness based methods in daily life. And so they advocate for change in women's health uh, by empowering women in their health journey. And so they do a lot of educational stuff. And one big thing that Bridget is taking part in is this upcoming NFP Engage conference. And so um super grateful that she spent the time with me today and, and shared all of her wisdom that you're going to hear in today's podcast episode. But if you finish today's episode and you're like, man, I want to learn a lot more about NFP, I have no idea about any of this stuff. I found myself really ignorant about NFP before marriage prep. Um and so they have an NFP conference coming up that's totally free. It's for young Catholic professionals, but really anybody, anybody and everybody is welcome to join for this. Um, their kind of target audience is people who have never heard about NFP or people who want to learn more about it, especially the scientific-based you know, research and practice that has gone into creating these different NFP methods. If you have questions about whether or not and if he would be a good fit for you, or if you don't like understanding understand the church teaching on family planning, or if you doubt the effectiveness of NFP, these might be some things that obviously you're going to address. They're going to address in this conference, as well as many women's health issues and um, for women who are considering coming off birth control, um, whether it be for medical reasons or for uh, NFP purposes and trying to get in touch with church teaching. And so you'll hear from some leading medical professionals, business owners, content creators, and instructors in the space of NFP in this conference over three days. And so it is taking place from September 29th to October 1st. And so you can sign up at the link that we have in the show notes um, for that. And that's going to be hosted on YouTube. Um, But highly recommend you go and sign up because that way you'll get access to the full schedule. You can see the lineup, all the speakers and all that stuff that's going to be On there. And so Bridget is absolutely amazing. She's done some work with Emily before too. And when she reached out to us to share and help promote this conference, we were super eager to be a part of it. And so I hope that if you find yourself like me, uh, being somebody who knows less about NFP than you should, um, whether that be for your own health, whether you're going to be a future parent of girls or you know, just for your own family life and family planning and just understanding birth control and the effect that it has um, and, and on, on a female body. And, and yeah, there's so much goodness that's going to be covered in this conference. So I highly recommend you check it out. And you can see all that at the link in my Instagram bio, as well as in um, the show notes here on today's podcast episode. And I also just want to encourage you to check out her website. We'll talk about that more at the end. That's also going to be linked below. But As always, thank you again for listening and I hope you enjoy.
1: You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He's appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom, to go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ, to be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses, It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life. For all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence.
0: What is going on, Bridget? It's great to see you.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you in, in Absolutely.
0: person. <laughs> yeah, in person. You no, know,
2: right? out of the DMs. I mean, we're Zoom, but we've been in the DMs yeah. a lot, so this is really exciting.
0: Yeah, at least live speaking. It is very fun. Um, yeah, and no, I've been looking forward to it. You know, I've been... Booking like crazy. Uh, I always batch my guests. I don't know how you do, you know, your podcasting, but I always batch and try to get like a bunch of guests done in like a six week period. And so I'm kind of in the midst of that. Um, this week I have like four scheduled or whatever. But was just kind of thinking about different topics. And obviously we talk, you know, fairly frequently on Instagram, anyways. But I was like, this would be such a great topic to discuss, and you're a great person to discuss it with. So I'm very excited that you're taking the time uh, to talk to me today
2: yeah absolutely I'm, I'm glad to be here i love talking about all things fertility awareness nfp so this is going to be a great conversation
0: definitely yeah you know i learned a ton about it we were just talking about this but in marriage prep which i think is often uh, a catholic man's first <laughs> encounter with all things nfp i actually learned a little bit about it before we were engaged and emily took an nfp class with uh, someone at benedictine when we were still living in kansas and um she shared a lot with me. So I got kind of some secondhand notes and stuff like that back then. But then obviously our NFP class was kind of my first like real like immersion into it. And then now being married and practicing it and kind of living it out, you know, is a whole other level. So uh, it's been really cool. And I think it's something that, um has been increasing in popularity even in the secular world and the protestant world and things like that as well as we kind of see some of the downsides of hormonal birth control and stuff like that but first before we get into any of that we'd love to just hear or hear more about you and your kind of background and story
2: yeah okay so i was raised catholic and my parents both practicing catholics um, and it was really like end of high school, early college that I really had a, a point of wanting to understand if my faith was going to be my own or not. Um, NFP, fertility awareness has always been a part of my story. My mom and dad used Creighton. My mom was a huge advocate around um, health literacy, understanding your body. And that really, I think, put me in a position to receive the church's teachings. And I never had questioned that. And it was um, really at a time of end of high school where my friends were kind of either leaving the church or deciding where they were, where they v- fell in everything, it. honestly. And then broke up with my high school boyfriend. My housing fell through at the university I was going to go to. So it was a very like, come to Jesus moment. I went to confession was like, okay, God, this is it. Like, this is, this is the time where you either need to show up or I'm, I'm walking away. Like, I don't know if I can do this because I had been in such a, uh, influx just being in the space that I was and the friends that I, that I had, um, So that really spurred on a deeper conversion for me or in a sense, like a reversion and a strengthening. And I think through, especially my parents' prayers for me (laughs) to, to keep going and keep questioning, it really became my own. And in that process, I really came to love fertility awareness and wanting to do more with it. So um, in all of that, um, my husband, David, we became really good friends. We started dating. We broke up because he was part of the Reconciling Methodist Church, grew up in a very strong democratic household wow. portion, pro-gay marriage. And I was like, why am I dating this person? Because I just had my come to Jesus moment. <laughs> so that was wild. But um, we had a few months apart, and I really felt the Lord just being like, this is, this is a person for you that I I want you to date. And I was like, this doesn't make sense on paper. This doesn't make sense in the (laughs) how I would like walk through this linearly. And I was just like, okay, okay, Lord. So we dated. And in the process, I really came to know my faith because David had so many great questions. He was exploring the Russian Orthodox church, um, the Wesleyan church, the Methodist church, the Catholic church, um, a non-denominational church. One Easter, he went to like five different church services just to see how each one, Um, and in that process, um, he came to fall in love with the Catholic church and it was really, um, challenging, I think for us because he was really trying to choose that for himself and was kind of going on his own journey. Like I found out he had an adoration hour before me at our, our college campus, Parish and I had no idea. I just saw his name on the signup sheet. And I was like, You sign up for an adoration hour? And he's like, Oh, yeah, it's all good. Like I just want to see what it's all about. And I think I should just go regularly. So it was a really beautiful time for both of us to grow in our faith. And then we um got engaged in 2015. And at that point I thought, man, NFP, it's gonna be, it's gonna be good. We're both on board. We were reading the science. We're gonna schedule a half hour. This is gonna be great. We'll just pick our method, we'll go with it. And it was like hours upon hours of research and trying to figure out, Mm -hmm. like, how do we pick a method? How do we know it's legitimate? Our archdiocesan website wasn't thorough. The USCCB referred to your archdiocese, referred to your parish. The parish priest didn't really seem to have a lot of options. So it just felt like a game of hot potato where we weren't really sure who was like the keeper of all the information to help us. And in that time, I had just graduated with a background in strategic communication and public health from the University of Minnesota. And was pursuing a master's degree in health communication. So combination of um, strategic communication and public health focusing in women's health. Um, And so I really felt the call to create a resource that didn't exist to be able to serve the church and also help me in the process of better understanding what the heck I was choosing. Because at this point, NFP seemed like a joke. Like what I had heard from my parents was really great. And what my mom had promoted to me and I was using, you know, the thumb tech apps um, like Kindara was really popular at the time. And so it was just a way for me to understand my body. That all made sense. But the church teaching, I think it was really frustrating to me thinking if the church promotes this, why isn't this readily available information? Why isn't this super easy mm-hmm. to talk to someone, to pick a method, understand the why and, and how in, in choosing this and doing this as a married couple. And so I, proposed my project of the website to the given Institute. And I was part of the first cohort to go through that in 2016. So, uh, that was like two months before we got married, I was in DC and then David was doing an internship on the peace and reconciliation movement in Northern Ireland between Protestants and Catholics. So we were both like traveling and doing intensive projects like <laughs> two months before we were married and people thought we were crazy, but that's just how we live our lives. And we love it. <laughs> so that's kind of been the theme of our, our life. I, I found, um, So in all of that, it really was like a head and heart conversion for me of understanding church teaching and on why the church does what it does and promotes what it does. And then also really trying to understand the science and seeing how do we connect both faith and science and helping people understand this and being able to use fertility awareness. So, um, fast forward, we're celebrating six years of marriage in August. We have two beautiful girls are two and a half and one, and, we're just like in the thick of life and marriage and it's, it's really good. I kind of skipped some of the like upbringing stuff. I'm the oldest of four. I have <laughs> amazing younger siblings, David's the oldest. So you can tell by that we're both like <laughs> sanguine. I'm choleric. He's like, <laughs> it's kind of a party around here. We're both pretty determined. <laughs> Things get done. <laughs>
0: That's great. So, yeah, I love it. At
2: this point, um, I uh, left my full-time job um, working in newborn screening. I worked in public health. I worked with the Minnesota Department of Health for a while and just came to a point where I, I really wanted to be home with my daughter when she had been born. And so I, I did uh, part-time virtual during the first year of COVID and then mm. uh, left my job. Transition to managing your fertility, have my second baby, and now I just focus on this like fifteen hours a week and being with my babies. So it's really been a, a huge blessing and such a nice hybrid. And I love what I do. So it's just like a joy to be able to work on something that I love, but then also know I can be around my kids and and raising them and being a part of that because I really right. really like that. So that that's right. Like, sorry. <laughs>
0: it sounds like a pretty fun life. I love it. Yeah. That's great yeah and so you were born and raised in
2: Minnesota? I totally was. yeah we actually David and I are both from the same town, um which oh, is wow. like a, a suburb here in the cities, went to high school together, we met in theater um, and just kind of maintained friendship and then dated in college. Both ended up at the same university, University of Minnesota, and then proceeded to like stay here because all our family's here. so it's pretty wild. It's pretty fun
0: <laughs> that is that's great. I love you know one thing that I, I always try to really highlight and I think it's kind of been a theme lately with people that I've been talking with is, um, you talking about that frustration of knowing that, like the church promotes this, but why is it so difficult to find, you know, and really trying to fill that need. I think, like, seeing a need and filling a need. Um, I remember hearing Father Mike talk about that, like, three years ago, three or four years ago. He's got this great kind of special, like, live talk that he did that Ascension posted. It was It's titled Telling the Story of God's Love, and it's one of my favorite talks he's ever given. I've listened to it, like, six times. i listened to it partially <laughs> last week again. And there's a part where he talks about that, and he talks about the culture he creates at UMD uh, Newman Center. Um, and I just think it's so cool to think about that. You know, I think that's what so many of us are trying to do. And I think it's what gives me a lot of hope for kind of the millennial generation of Catholics. Cause I see a lot of us trying to do that, you know, that I think was kind of missing there for a little while. So I, I think it's great that you kind of saw that and I'm sure it's, it's difficult, right? Kind of starting from scratch and trying to like, compile all these different things. Cause it's like, why does this not exist already? Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah, it's been it's been wild. I mean, it's been so amazing to meet so many different practitioners, OBGYNs, instructors, and connecting with these people in this space who are also starting ministries and starting businesses to serve women. And so that's been a huge blessing for me to have really truly an amazing group of colleagues and friends that I'm meeting all across the U.S. and some you know across the pond, and being able to connect and talk about the things that we're seeing and how we'd be able to like help serve the church because I think there there's this expectation we have that the church should fix this and we are the church. And obviously, yes, it yeah. helps to hear from like, you know, the leadership and from the of like, okay, yes, this is the teaching on human sexuality, contraception, things like that. But then what does it look like to live it out for all of us who have our own story, our own brokenness, our own aches and pains, but also recognizing that this this is a place in which conversion can happen and we can grow closer to God. And it doesn't mean that you throw out NFP because it's hard. Like there are seasons that it can be really hard and some people have really hard stories, but that doesn't make NFP wrong because of it. And I think that's a challenging dynamic within the church that I'm seeing more and more that I'm grateful for the, the conversations in the gray, but I also think we need to be solutions oriented. So what are we going to do about it, especially on social media. I think it's very tempting to see yeah. conversations that someone else needs to fix it. And this is a problem and I don't want to do it instead of, okay, this is hard. And I, you know, yeah, you got to process that, go to therapy, whatever it is that you need to work through those challenges. And also how do we support each other to do this and be the hands and feet of Christ? Because th- this is an important teaching that I I do believe is life-changing for people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. And I think what's interesting in that, you know, not to go straight uh, political, but I think that it is a a kind of a philosophical difference, you know, between conservatism and progressivism. You know, this concept of, you think about progressives, like the entire approach is that um, the government ought to solve all of our problems, right? Like we get to kind of exist and we have rights and things should just be provided to us. And I think that that kind of bleeds in sometimes to the church where we say, you know, the church needs to just provide everything for us. Like we don't need to do anything, but it is so great to see lay people. And obviously there's clergy who are doing this as well, but I mean, the the fundamental of like seeing a great need in the world and seeking to fill it, like that's what every saint did. Right. Mm-hmm. Some on small scales, some on big scales um, was starting new religious orders or starting foundations, starting different things. Right. That, um, you know, we, the church is responsible for starting so many hospitals and education, you know, um, that that's like that's it's in our heart right it's like it's same as like in the american system like it's like at our core as americans it's at our core as catholics to to do stuff like that And i think it's really cool for you especially thinking about um you know obviously i think you kind of came upon it obviously i think it could have been filled obviously 20 years ago would have been great but i think that it is interesting that this need for um kind of a I don't know of a re-promotion, but like this kind of like dominance of NFP because of the uh, populariz- popularization of birth control, obviously, right? In the sexual revolution, all of that. So it was kind of like a newer issue that kind of, I think, came about in the 20th century. You know more about it than I do, but um, so it's not like it's something that necessarily 600 years ago the church was really looking for as much as you would be now, right? Um, but I think that that's, that's just awesome to see that, you know, with the rise of feminism that promotes a lot of those things. And then there's the critique of the church of what role do women have in the church? And if women are so suppressed in the church to see you serving women and doing so much to compile and, and make women's lives better and strengthen families while being a wife and a mother is, is pretty awesome. Cause you get to kind of show people like, this is what women can do in the church. And I wouldn't, um, I think it'd be pretty hard to challenge that what you're doing is not important, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or worthwhile. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Oh, man. I think what you said around the idea, so many good points that I'm like, oh, I want to jump on all of them. But I think with my background in public health, I'm in this weird space of I'm pro fertility awareness, women understanding their bodies I'm pro life. And yet I'm in this space that very much is, you know, can we find programming that will help a large group of people? And I think that that risk that you run is that like that, you know, I, I saw so many people and their hearts were in it to want to serve people, but the risk is you can't find one big program that's going to serve everyone. There's that bioindividuality and understanding each person is their own. And so public health can only do so much and only go so far. And then it really requires that responsibility of the individual, which I think a lot of times is left out of the conversations, especially right now in public health. We think that someone isn't capable. Oh, they don't know how to do something. They don't we'll we'll just give them the tools. And it's like the education can cost more upfront, more time, more money, but that's essential to getting someone to the point that they're able to make their own decisions, advocate for their own health, their own body, and making the choices that are best for them. Um, and I think that is oftentimes that gray that isn't always straddled and we like to just say okay it's either one way or completely in the opposite the other in public health especially and so i think that's been a challenge to see it when it comes to women's health that we're quick to say birth control is the best way because again it's that like here's this one fix for a large population And yet, Mm -hmm. if you could actually invest the time and the money and the effort into helping women understand how their bodies work, charting their cycles, knowing what to advocate for, it's actually not that complicated. And I think that's the predominant narrative that it is. like It's too hard and you won't understand it. You don't have a medical background. You don't need a medical background to chart your cycle. Like It's about being intuitive to your own body and then having some of the tools that you need so that you know when to involve a medical professional when you need support and help. And so I think that's a piece that I'd love to see changing in public health. Um, and in the medical community and in, in care as a whole for women that I think is starting to come through, as you said, like we're seeing these changes around uh, conversations around hormonal contraception and the idea that charting maybe isn't so bad. And it's, you're seeing it talked about even in magazines like glamor, which I would have never thought I would ever see in my lifetime, yeah, right. honestly, that you see like <laughs> secular magazines and articles are at least like dancing with it and like, Oh, Hey, this is a different option. Some women are choosing it. Some women aren't. And, you know, we could get into, you know, how effectiveness rates are talked about and stuff like that. But I think um, there's a good change that's happening. And it's allowing women to be an advocate of their own health and their own body and not being told this is the only way you can do this in order to be successful. Like, that just doesn't even make sense that like it, the irony of feminism is so strong right now. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, in so many ways. And I think, yeah, there's, I think there's just like a multitude of examples of so of a lot of things, you know, I think I get on ranting on so many different <laughs> areas and categories and agendas that, you know, actually hurt the people that they claim to serve. But, yeah, I would love to just kind of talk more about, um about some of that about what do you think that it that caused this kind of resurgence or i guess it's not a resurgence because it's never happened before but this kind of like yeah. um popularization of discussing it for secular people like what how do they kind of discover you know some of these biological uh negative biological impacts of hormonal birth control
2: I think it's a long time coming. I think it's, it sort of seems like it's next on the list because we were so big, how many years ago about like buying everything organic and we should be watching what we're putting into our yeah. bodies. Eat. And then we have, you know, like, Oh, well now we should pay attention to our makeup and our skincare and the soap we use. And, you know, now it's tying in with the environment. Well, these are things that are impacting the environment and our bodies what's happening. And I think this is like the next on the list that everyone's scared to touch because it's like, well, wait mm. a minute. It's, it's women's reproductive health rights uh, well, how are we going to do this one? Because I think people automatically think when it's talked about is, oh, you're going to take away a woman's right to ab- abort or not. And, and really it's like, that's, that's not what, what's on the table. That might be a part of it, but it's really about like understanding how your body works and what that looks like should be acts access. Like you should have access to that. That shouldn't be, that shouldn't be an issue. That's like withheld from you for fear of like, oh, if we talk about this and promote it, like somehow we're going to lose abortion and, and birth control altogether um and I, so mm-hmm. i think that like it's really been in these past few years um you're seeing the conversations around the environment clean eating clean living and I think it's just next on the list and we can't avoid it any longer. I think we're also seeing so much more in the science and the research that's coming out around birth control and what it actually is and how it works. Like the, who lists it as uh, the world health organization uh, lists it as a carcinogen, but they do it in a way that's like, Hey, just an FYI, this is like a number one carcinogen, but also like, it's your right. And like, you should have access to it. Cause it's actually good for you, but right. also it's kind of bad. And you're just reading it and you're thinking like, this is a hot mess. Like, let's just be honest about the facts. And then you get to let someone choose because at the end of the day, like this should be about educating a person about their body. And then they get to make a choice, not, Hey, uh, it's a thing, but it should be fine. Cause then it just starts to seem very political and that it's just all about the money. And then you have to question, Mm -hmm. maybe it is because why can't I have access to this information and be able to like, understand it very clearly and not have the CDC and the who making it very Hidden, kind of this weird, like you're gonna be fine, but you could die, but it's gonna be fine. It's like, tell me straight, like what is it and how does it work? So there's that. There's also um, the business of being born and the business of birth control, which are two really great resources that really go through from a non faith perspective what's going on when you're on birth control, what does it look like, what's the process of it being made, what's what's in it, what are the ingredients. And like the the impact it has negatively on women's health and the research they're finding where women are having blood clots, they're having health issues, they're having low libido, they're having issues with sleep. It's increasing anxiety, depression, stress. All of that research is available if you just go right on Google Scholar, like you can find it for yourself. And that's what I think is so frustrating is that like, this needs to be readily available and should require someone to read a research paper on it. That's kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but that's just like what I'm seeing. And there's so many pieces to it. That's what's so hot about it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. No, I, I love it. I think it was great. Um, and I think I think what you touched on there, too, that I think is really interesting is, you know, the we talk often about the irony of feminism being that, especially coming from the church perspective, that it's claiming to empower women with birth control, right? Because you're able to compete with men and be more like men and, and um, uh, you know, be as sexually liberated as men. But I think one thing that you kind of touched on there that you, you talked about a little bit before is kind of this, like, irony of the... Uh, like the disrespect to the intellect of women you know just like the yeah. idea that if you why not be educated on different options and let somebody choose you know like that's one of the craziest things to me and you see so often you, when you hear the abortion arguments right that like men men on the supreme court shouldn't be making these decisions or judges or whatever and it's like who's like who's leading the world health organization and the cdc like obviously like the the director i know of the cdc is a woman currently but There's tons of men throughout those organizations, you know, and every time I see anybody speaking on behalf of the who, or at least most of the time, I think it's a man, you know, and it's like men are very involved in some of these decisions and the suppressing of information. And I think that's one thing that's so interesting and that I really struggle sometimes politically, but even just like philosophically or ideologically with some of these like issues is why people are not more open to hearing the side that's claiming to say, yes, let both sides be heard. You know, like, I think it's yeah. very concerning when you have one side that's like, do like suppress that information. Do not yeah. listen to them. And it's the same side that does that for multiple different issues, right? We've seen that with so many different things. Yeah. Uh, why can't we just have like this full conversation? I, I have the same issues with like the BLM, you know, issues and things like that. Of like, why can't we talk about all of, you know, the ways that black people are killed in this country instead of just focusing in on this one? Like, why do you suppress the other conversations? But I think the same thing happens here with. Why can't like women just be educated I and mean, women and men be educated on NFP and um, and birth control and, and the, the pluses mm-hmm. and the minuses of both and then let them decide instead yeah, think- of just like at 14 b- women just being put on birth control immediately or earlier than that.
2: Yeah, I don't get it either, because I wonder, like, what's the fear? Like, what's going to happen if you have access to both? And I also, you know, I will right. say that in the Catholic Church as well. Like, I remember pitching the idea of, hey, let's, could I come into a youth group? Moms can be there. This isn't about, like, you know, just me with the kids talking about NFP, but can we, like, start a conversation for the girls and the moms around charting your cycle? And I was met with, you know what? Some parents are just concerned that their kids are going to have start having sex with if they have access to this information. And I just remember thinking, like, are, are you kidding me right now? Like it's access to information. Like if your kid is going to use this to have sex, you have bigger issues to, to like deal with at home because right. this is about knowledge of the body, like understanding how you work. Like if, if you're going to automatically take that information and go have sex with somebody, like that's that that's messed up. Like, no, that's this is like foundational information we can't be afraid of. And I, so I just find that really bizarre to see that even within the church <laughs> here around NFP that can happen too. It's like almost like a, an extreme, you know, pendulum swing of protection yet again. And it's like, we've got to be able to have information and access, like the access to both is so important to make an informed decision. And I think more often than not, I would argue that people will choose NFP over hormonal contraception if they have the access to understand how it works and the fact that they could actually have more control over their cycles and not in a bad way, like in a good way of understanding, like, oh, growing and self-control. And I understand how my body works so I can make important decisions. So if I need care or I need help or, you know, I, I'm not going to get pregnant. I'm not going to use this. I'm not going to use my body in this way. I'm actually going to like honor myself, protect myself and my dignity. I think there's just so much tied to it that it could, it's, it's transformative. Like everyone needs to have access to this.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think it's, it's, it's so wild. I think that fear is so interesting because I think you have, we we often operate in those two extremes, I think, within the church, right? You have those who are just like, yeah, immediately, like my daughter's whatever age, like this is what the world does, like put her on birth control, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the other side that's like, do not mention anything sex related or body related yeah. or NFP related until my child is 25. And it's like, <laughs> you know, maybe we can be in the middle yeah, <laughs> and, and find the virtue you know yeah because yeah, that does so much damage obviously as well what do you think would be the best way to do that do you think like um as far as like renovating the church in that way would you like start like with youth groups Do you think like catholic high schools or what would kind of be your approach to or your recommendation i guess to parents or what your plan is
2: I think it really needs to involve the parents so that they find that they're a part of the conversation. And I think it can also be a really powerful opportunity to bridge that gap between the whole idea of like, you give your kid that one talk about the birds and the bees and it's so uncomfortable. It's like, this is a very normal, natural part of life. Like, this needs to be an ongoing conversation for, I think, dismantling some of the purity culture ideologies that really Mm. come into play that the body is bad. It's not good. Sex is bad. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now you get to have sex and, you know, people are wrecks because of it because they're so freaked out um yeah. my christina valenzuela she runs pearl and thistle and she has a program for parents and daughters to go through and helping the daughter understand her cycle and it's not sex ed focused and i think that's a big distinction to make is that a lot of times health classes like in high school and stuff and you know i'm focusing a little more on public schools because catholic schools vary and in, in how they approach health um you know it's it's not talking about sex ed it's it's body education. It's reproductive education for girls and for guys, like understanding how do, how do our bodies work? And what does that look like? Not together on their own. Let's like, start with the foundations. And so I think that education needs to happen. And parents do need to be a part of it because I think it's kind of weird that you have kids in a room who are learning from this random teacher of a random curriculum. Mm -hmm. And you're going to hear about like sex and how, like, if you're going to have sex, what to use, make sure you don't have a baby. Like it just starts you off on the wrong path. And you're not understanding like the why of how your body works. How, how does a baby happen? What, what does that even mean? Your body is changing so much at 13. It is not the time to be introducing condoms to kids. And the idea that like, you can have sex and whatever else, like that just doesn't, that doesn't help them understand their bodies. Like, I know it's probably happening in their conversations. They're giggling, they're laughing about it, but you got to get at the foundation. And that was something I, I, I'm seeing more and more. And it seems like parents are becoming more interested in that because they get to be a part of it, which I think they should. They're the primary educators of their kids.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's so huge. You know, I think it, and you're basically just saying that it should be like anything else that the church teaches, right? That it should primarily come from the parents. And if you create an environment where you're talking about these things and the things that the church teaches, I think it does more naturally come up, right? And it doesn't have to be this like awkward conversation that both sides are super nervous and <laughs> uncomfortable
2: around, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think that was. I think that was what I I so appreciated about my mom because she was charting. I think it naturally helped her to be more comfortable in talking about her her body, my body, and just the changes I was going through as a woman because it sets you up um, to be more open to the information and not so uncomfortable with it. Because as a woman, as a couple practicing NFP, you have to get really comfortable with the woman's body and her cycle and cervical fluid and what's happening and the changes that I think you just you, you're set up to have better conversations with your kids because you're already having those conversations and it becomes less taboo and just a lot more open about everything. And I think for dads too, it helps them in connecting with their daughters or just saying like, Hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? My dad was super okay with me having a period and wasn't like, Oh God, what are you? Don't say it. Don't I'm coming. I'm running out of the room. He'd be like, Oh my gosh, do I need to go get Advil at the store for you? Do you need anything? Do you need any hygiene products? And I was like, Oh, thanks, Dad. Like, no, this is what I need, or like, I need this for. And it wasn't like you never talked to your dad about this because it's so weird. And I think he was set up to be more open to it because of their practice of NFB. Because my friends' dads were like, "No way! Like, don't take, don't say anything about it. Don't talk to me about it. I don't want to hear about it." Mm. And so I think that's an interesting dynamic as well. That you know, it's okay. It's okay to have this this comfort level with it in a way that's healthy. It's not disrespectful. And I think that's, that's the war we kind of have, I think, against the culture right now and how we talk about sex. And then also with purity culture and Jansenism and how that impacts it too.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I think just the importance of getting to the spot first, right? Cause your kids, like people are going to learn about it. They're going to encounter it. And I think so often we, like parents are so afraid of, about bringing it up that the, the world ends up forming the the kids. Um,
2: yeah. There, you- there are oh. There are sex ed programs that will start at age six, talking about petting and masturbation. Like I reviewed yeah. them. I did a class two day full Saturdays with two instructors in my master's program. And I was like, this is going to be the class that exhausts me and makes me so mad that I have to take it because I have, I want to see, I have to see like, what does this look like? And we compared different sex education programs. And so many people in that room were like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like we should definitely choose a program that teaches them about sexuality in kindergarten where they're understanding petting and they're understanding how to masturbate six year olds. And I was like, oh my gosh, bird your loins. Like the work is coming. This is insane. Like, Wow. And so I think like, you know, depending on where your kid goes, like a Catholic school, yeah, you're probably not going to run into that, but they're probably never going to hear about Theology of the Body either. There's so few programs, but then in public school, it's a free for all. So you really do as a parent. You need to do the work. You have to do the job.
0: Did you, at least for a moment, consider that like maybe the best option for you was just like burning that building to the ground?
2: (laughs) Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I sure thought about it. <laughs> I, I just, can't like, imagine. I couldn't believe it that like that was like the logical conclusion. So many of my peers were making, and I was just like, you know, I'm. I was like alone. I just felt like alone in that, you know, where I was like, really, do we really think like that's that seems like a young age? And they, I understood though in a sense where their desire was coming from. I think they had felt so um jaded in their own experiences growing up that they never heard anything. And it was through the movies and it was through conversations with friends who, you know, jokingly talked about having sex with some random person in middle school or high school that I think they were like, just educate so they understand and that there isn't this like hiddenness around sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was just it missed the mark. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I do agree that we need to educate children, but it needs to be age appropriate and it needs to be through the parents and it needs to be not, I don't think in a school setting where you're getting everything you need in, in like, it just blew my mind. I mean, we put condoms on a banana for our health class. And I was like, mom, I don't want to take this class anymore. I went to public <laughs> high school. She was like, that's it. You're going to be, uh, you're going to be homeschool in this, this particular course. And I did, and it was a completely different experience around hygiene and like how your body works. And I was like, what? this is so wild. This is so wild that it's normal. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy world out there. That's so interesting. Um, I love it. And you you touched on, you know, some of the the negative side effects that uh the biological side effects, I guess, of hormonal birth control. But can you kind of tell us a little bit about what the church teaches about kind of contraception in general and why it is I think it's something that is so difficult. Obviously, I've talked before about Humanae Vitae and um the pushback from within the church. Obviously without the, like from without the church, it's been very um it's very confusing. I think it just seems so impractical. So can you tell us a little bit about like what the church teaches and why?
2: Yeah. I, and I'll say right out of the gate, it's, it's a hard teaching. It is a hard teaching because I think we are so predominantly sold the idea that birth control is the only way to be successful, especially f- from a woman's perspective, not even from a family planning and like a marriage perspective. Um, and humana Vitae really came out of the gate as something that was um, very much against contraception and, Pope Pius VI walked through why and what he saw as as the possibilities of what we would see in the future, which we are now seeing lived out, that women are being abused. They're not being loved by their spouses. There's a disrespect of the the female person. Um, And he was the only um, church leader at that time who went out, came out against contraception. So churches previously, um, Protestant churches were against birth control as well. So this was a huge shift culturally. And then to see that so many other churches were in agreement seeing that this was the way for women to experience freedom in their lives. Um, I'm going off the rails a little bit here, but I'll get back on. I think, you know, the church really sees the dignity of the human person. And so for birth control, it's, it's really separating the understanding that marriage is so important and that sex happens within marriage and that there's the opportunity of bonding and babies. So it's not all about, you have as many kids as you need to, and you breed like rabbits. There's responsible parenthood in place. And Pope politics talked about this, that you need to be discerning and you need to be considering as a couple, what is going to be the best for your family and what God calls you to. And that requires, um, a constant discernment and not in an erotic, like overwhelming, Way, But those conversations that are ongoing and staying close to the sacraments and praying for the grace that you have through the sacrament of marriage and and growing in relationship with your spouse and Pope, um, the Pope saw that if we introduce contraception, we would see a separation, we would see, you know, the sexual revolution like take hold. And we wouldn't be seeing this dynamic of understanding that it's really important for a mother and father to raise children and that a home life that's stable would be the best for children to be a part of. And so when we separate the act of sex from the goodness of the potential of life, we, we just like cut ourselves off from the possibility of grace in the bigger picture in the mystery of marriage. And this is where some of it's kind of like the, the mystery aspect, the love of the Trinity is reflected through a married couple. And this is where I would highly recommend Christopher West. I think he's a great Person to be introduced to theology of the body and understanding how does this make sense? Um, Pope John Paul II really took the teachings on birth control and contraception and the understanding that marriage is so good, sex is so good, and it's good within the context of marriage and talking about being free, total, and faithful and fruitful love so that you have the opportunity to. to create life, but you also have this opportunity of fidelity. And this is really important. And so I think when it comes to like the theological teachings, it's, it's tough because it's like, okay, I can explain it from a scientific perspective, you know, like, especially as we're learning more about hormonal contraception and that it's like, wow, this isn't great for the body. You know, this isn't th- so many women talk about how they feel terrible on hormonal contraception. I know some women, they come off and they feel so amazing. They, they're not struggling mm-hmm. with anxiety, depression anymore, for example. Um, and, when you start to introduce the idea of like, okay, but you can't use condoms. It's like, well, technically condoms don't really have chemicals and stuff. Like you're not putting, it's not going in your body. It's not altering hormones. It's not uh, altering your brain chemistry. Um, that's harder to argue for me. I'm not going to lie because it's like, okay, this is where the spirituality, the theology comes in and the understanding that the body is good. Marriage is good. And that it is sex is so much better in a committed married relationship. And that it serves the world so much better. And it creates an opportunity of safety and security for that couple and a greater reflection of the Trinity and the love of God, the father. And that that's, that's where I think it's um, rubber meets the road, but that's like, not what I mean, because we're just talking about condoms, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's so it's, it's tough. It is tough. It's hard to live out, but it's one of those things. Like once you're doing it, you realize the goodness and the grace that comes from it because the conversations that you have, the dynamics in which you really have to grow in love and root out lust. Like all of that comes from not using contraception. You can't use your spouse. You have to sit with yourself and say, wow, am I actually trying to use my spouse right now and use their body and like and really disrespect them? Or am I choosing to love them? And at this point, if we're abstaining or we don't want a child, I have to say no to my desires, but still choose to turn towards myself and say, how can I love you in a different way? And not just turn to my phone or numb out or masturbate in the bathroom because I'm done with this shit. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think that that's what's hard. And so I don't have the perfect argument for it because I get it. I, I hear the stories from women and couples and how frustrated they are, but there's a deeper reality that requires an openness of heart and a turning towards the sacraments to better understand and grow in a a love for at least appreciation for NFP and what it brings. Does that help answer like what you're asking me? I don't know. It's just, it's a tough one. It really is because it's so nuanced and I don't have, I wish I had a background in like theology and could really go after the morality aspects of this, but I'm learning. I'm learning because I'm living it too.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is it is definitely challenging. You know, when I was in college, I kind of came to discern that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes church teaching or the right thing to do is the harder thing to do, right? The more difficult and challenging thing to do, <laughs> which is is really difficult when you commit to trying to live the moral life. Um, but yeah, it's it's super challenging and um but it is beautiful in so many ways. And I think there's I'm sure there's, you know, disgruntled people out there who don't um have the experience that we have. And obviously I'm only four months into it, five months into it, but still just like, I mean, this is a whole different world. And I think that when you couple it with the other things in church teaching, because I think that's the hard part, right? Like a lot of times I think people, you know, we'll try to half-ass church teaching and and come in and be like, well, you know, we're gonna do this, but like they don't frequent the sacraments, they don't have a prayer life, and it's like that. I, then I then I'm sure it is worse. You know what I mean? Then I bet it is awful and miserable, and I see why they quit or get divorced or whatever it might be. Right? If you have one spouse that's really um, committed to nfp or not using contraception you have one that's not that might be lukewarm in the faith or whatever you're not praying together you're not going to mass together whatever it might be you know like if you're only doing part of you know what the church commands or encourages you to do then yeah. um, that part is much harder and it's much worse you know
2: mm-hmm.
0: um yeah, go ahead, where you can say something.
2: I was just, it's its like radical trust. Because as you say, like some yeah. people have great experiences. Some people have really hard experiences. You know, I've seen more conversations um, on certain accounts and I, you know, it's social media. So it's a starting point for a conversation, but it just gives me some insight to see like, how are people responding to this when they hear like, Hey, NFP is hard. And sometimes I wish it didn't exist. And then you see the comments come in and people are saying, you know, I have a serious medical condition. And if I were to get pregnant, I could die. That's scary. And then it requires that, that assessment, I think as, as Catholics, especially, okay, do I trust God and his plan for me that he would provide if I do become pregnant, that he'll provide me with the doctors, like that level of trust and faith and surrender is hard, especially when you're facing potentially dying and get, you know, and like that your child might die or you might die or you both might die. Like that's scary, you know? And I, like, I think just to have that, um, empathy for people in those positions where there are others who are in the middle where like, okay, maybe they had a more complicated pregnancy or birth and that was hard, but okay. They they're moving through it. They're, they're healing. And you have other people who are in NFP, and it's like, it's not too hard. It's kind of, it's just working like there are frustrations, but it's not, you know, related to, I might die in childbirth, which is, I think oftentimes where I see most of the struggle with NFP is that the complications that come from a birth or from a health condition, which make it a lot scarier because it's like, if I could take something that would guarantee I wouldn't get pregnant, That doesn't actually really exist. Contraception isn't that foolproof. Abstinence really Mm -hmm. is the best way. And I know couples who have abstained for a really long time, which can sound crazy to us because we are so inundated with the idea that we have to have sex or we will explode. Like something bad is going to happen. You're going to die if you don't have sex. And like that, I think again, is where that grace comes in, where you need the sacraments to say, okay, if I'm going to abstain, I'm going to need the sacraments and I'm going to need to lean into my marriage and my spouse and not pull away because that is so much harder to do, but so necessary in a time when, you can't come together. And I know father Mike had a video recently on sex and he talked about St. Thomas Aquinas saying like a couple who's in grace and has sex grows and it grows in grace and glory together. So like sex is a good, it's not a bad. And those are some of the dynamics I think we're we're battling against too in the process of discerning very hard real life things. (laughs) It's, it's a lot, it's a lot
0: absolutely i think have you ever read any uh dr gregory pop i think it's pop check is how you say sex, yes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: great
0: great book um and i think he's written a few others i know but i haven't read any of his other ones that's the only one i've read has, any, but,
2: that, has anybody read any of his other ones who's like young married? <laughs> i'm sorry it's just <laughs> it's like go to on the shelf you're like what is yeah. this one Help, right. yeah. help me.
0: <laughs> Legit. You're not kidding. Yeah. And so that one's great. But I think one thing is interesting in there, and I don't know any of the stats off the top of my head, and I don't have the book with me. Um, but I think, you know, he talks about it. I've heard Christopher West and other people speak about this, is that one of the greatest lies in there is that um, the, whether it's the, you know, whether it's just satisfaction or frequency when it comes to sex within marriage, um, the lie is that, you know, couples on birth control actually do have sex more often you know like we we see mm-hmm. that there's a lot of stats actually the couples who practice nfp where well, you are intentional about it even if you're abstaining you know that oftentimes that they're either more satisfied or have it more frequently um mm-hmm. which i think is an interesting twist on what you might expect and what we often fear i think going into practicing nfp within marriage
2: yeah. 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 That is, I, I don't remember the numbers off my head, but that is a consistent stat that's been found in research that um, I think it, I think it has to do with the intentionality. Like you are fully alive and fully awake to like what you're doing. You're not numbing out and you're not just saying, okay, I'll do this whenever I want to. And you know, a couple of years go by and you're like, yeah, maybe we should have a kid. Maybe we shouldn't like, there's a constant conversation. And again, not in like a neurotic way. Like you're just, it's coming up every month that you're like, okay, how are we feeling about children or not? Like, how does that work with our family life? Like, what are the areas that we need to like talk about. And I think you're just, you're, you're more alive to your life because of that. And you're more aware of like how amazing sex can be. And again, there are people who have abstained. Like I, I know some people who abstained for a year postpartum because they were so uncertain Mm. and that was really hard. So like, you know, there are those instances where you're like, oh my gosh, like that could be a possibility. Like it could, but that's not like the baseline stat, you know, like that's not that's not necessarily the majority of couples, but I'd love more research on practicing NFP couples to see like, what does it look like? Like, are you more satisfied in your sex life? Like, what are the struggles? What are the heartaches? Because I think that just, again, it's access to all the information. Like, what Mm -hmm. does this look like? So I can go in, eyes wide open. Obviously there's experience that you gain from practicing it yourself, of course, but just to like know this is how it works. And this isn't a made up stat that you're going to probably have more sex than a contracepting couple. Like that's a that's a real research point. It's a good data point to have for people who are nervous about it and who are like, NFP is a joke. I'm not doing it.
0: All right. Absolutely. Well, maybe, uh, you know, managing your f- fertility will do that research for us someday. <laughs>
1: I it's, about it. I it's very about possible. It. <laughs> it's
0: very possible. I love it. So obviously we did get to you know, the full masterclass on NFP for you today. Um, but I love what we got to discuss, but I'd love to kind of just close out with talking about a little bit about your podcast and what you kind of see as the future of, uh, managing your fertility, obviously, along with doing this great research for, for all of us.
2: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, sign <laughs> me up. I love that. So managing your fertility moving forward, I have the podcast and launching season three, just with a variety of conversations, um, pelvic floor, sex and intimacy, um, marriage, like all of it, because I think it's all about whole living. Like these are all these aspects impact fertility awareness. Fertility awareness impacts the rest of our life. And I think that integration is really important. Um, I launched a course for women who are single, engaged, married. Um, You you don't have to be Catholic to take it. It's called Start Your Chart. And it's a 101, just helping you understand the methods that are available, um, how to pick an instructor, what does that look like, and the skills and the tools you need to be able to actually start charting your cycle and having the support that you need in doing it so you're not DIYing. Um, Because the effectiveness rates for NFP really stem from those who are actually working with an instructor and working with uh, an organization that is approved and, and uh, methodolo- methodologically sound, scientifically proven. So that's really important. And so I've, I've launched that two weeks ago, and that's been huge. I've had so many women reaching out and saying they purchased the course, they found an instructor, they're going to start charting. And I'm really excited about that because I think that is just so important. And, and one of the core um, core aspects of the work that I do is that I want access be given to every woman for the work that they're doing. And then um, moving forward, I'm still working on a discernment course. And that's something I I started announcing in early 2022, but realized that this foundational course is really essential before getting into discernment and support for discernment, because that's a huge piece in the NFP space that a lot of people have confusion about. And I get a lot of questions about is how do I discern NFP? And I think um, that's a much uh, larger, uh, harder course to build conversation Mm -hmm. to have, but it's something I want to tackle because I think it's, it's really important. And I think it's really what can hold people back from using NFP or being really scared or getting a little too, um, worked up about using NFP in the process. And then it becomes like sex becomes unfun and nothing's fun anymore because you're so stressed out about discerning well. And if you're open enough, or if you're not open enough and what does that mean? And are you like committing grave sins? And so I really want to help people, have those conversations and have the resources they need so they know what to ask and they know how to understand their bodies and have beautiful marriages and have great sex because that's like totally possible and it doesn't need to be something Mm -hmm. that only a few elite people do in the church because that's that's silly like this is meant this is meant for every couple
0: right yeah it's highly encouraged from many (laughs) popes and church leaders that that's like uh something and some you know have worded it as an obligation to yeah. work towards that within yeah. your marriage. So that's great. I love it. I love what you're doing. This is so fun to get to talk with you live. And I hope that we'll be able to record again someday and go a little bit deeper into uh, different NFP methods and things like that to, yeah. <laughs> to you know, educate some of our audience on it. But um, yeah, you know, we always try to go conversational here and that's why, you know, to let the Holy Spirit kind of guide us wherever we're supposed to talk about. And I think everything we talked about today was what we are supposed to talk about. So, um, so yeah, so we'll be linking everything, obviously, um, in the show notes from things that we kind of talked about to uh, obviously all Bridget's uh, links to managing your fertility and to your podcast and everything. So thank you again uh, to Bridget for for joining the podcast today. It was great talking with you.
2: Thanks for having me. It's awesome. Thank you for all the work that you're doing for the church. It's awesome.
0: Thank you.